Chapter Twenty Four of the Mystery of the Four Fingers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Four Fingers by Fred M. White. Chapter Twenty Four The Mouth of the Net. I am afraid I am very dense, Venner said, but I quite fail to see how a man could make a fortune by selling for a sovereign an article that cost him twenty shillings, to say nothing of the trouble and cost of labor and the risk of being discovered. "'As a matter of fact, the risk is comparatively small,' Grady said. "'It was only by a pure accident that we got on the inside track of this matter. You see, the coins are of actual face value. They are most beautifully made, and, indeed, would pass anywhere. Let me tell you that every sovereign contains a certain amount of alloy, which reduces its actual value to about eighteen and threepence. Now you see where the profit comes in. Supposing these men turn out a couple of thousand sovereigns a day.' no very difficult matter with a plant like theirs, and, of course, the money can be disposed of with the greatest possible ease. This leaves a profit of a hundred and seventy-five pounds a day. When I have said so much, I think I have told you everything. Don't you admire the ingenuity of an idea like this?' It was all perfectly plain now. Indeed, the mystery appeared to be ridiculously simple, now that it was explained. "'And what are you going to do now?' Venner asked. Grady explained that the next step would be the arrest of Fenwick and his gang at Burton Grange. For that purpose it would be necessary to enlist the assistance of the local authorities, and in no case did the American detectives propose to effect the arrest before night. So far as Venner was concerned, he was quite at liberty to accompany the Americans on their errand. At the same time they let him infer that there was a situation in which they preferred his room to his company. "'As you will,' Venner smiled. So far as I am concerned, I am going to get back to Canterbury as soon as I can. With all your preparations, you have an exceedingly clever man to deal with, and it is just possible that by this time Fenwick already knows that you have laid the messenger by the heels. Men of that sort never trust one another, and it is exceedingly probable that Blossett has been watched. Grady and Egan admitted this possibility cheerfully enough. Doubtless they had made plans which they did not care to communicate to Venner. He left them presently only to discover to his annoyance that he had just missed a train to Canterbury, and that there was not another one till nearly six o'clock. It was quite dark when he stepped out of the carriage at Canterbury Station, and stood debating whether he should walk as far as the lodgings he had taken near Merton Grange, or call a cab. As he was idly making up his mind, he saw to his surprise the figure of the handsome cripple descending from the next carriage. He noted, too, that the cripple did not seem anything like as feeble as before, though he appeared to be glad enough to lean on the arm of a servant. At the same moment Le Fenu was joined by Evors, who came eagerly forward and shook him warmly by the hand. What these two were doing here, and what they had in their minds, it was not for Venner to say. He wondered what they would think if they knew how close he was, and how deeply interested he was in their movements. He hung back in the shadow, for just then he did not want to be recognized by Le Fenu. "'What a queer tangle it all is,' he said to himself. "'If I spoke to Le Fenu, he would recognize me in a moment as an old friend of his father's. I wonder what he would say to me if he knew I was his brother-in-law, and Evors, too. Imagine their astonishment if I walked up to them at this moment. Still, on the whole, I think I prefer to watch their movements. If they are going to thrust their heads into the lion's mouth—' perhaps I may be able to stand by and render some assistance. It was as Venner had anticipated, for presently Le Fenu and Evors entered a cab and gave the driver directions to take them as far as Merton Grange. 
Venner made up his mind that he could do no better than follow their example. The cab stopped at length outside the lodge gates, where Evors and Le Fignu alighted, and walked slowly up the drive. It was rather a painful effort for Le Fignu, but he managed it a great deal better than Venner had anticipated. They did not enter the house by the front door. On the contrary, they crept round a small side entrance, beyond which they vanished, leaving Venner standing on the grass, wondering what he had better do next. Meanwhile, Evors led the way down a flight of stairs, till he emerged presently in a corridor. With his companion on his arm, he walked to the little room at the end, and boldly flung open the door. The room was empty, a thing which both of them seemed to expect, for they smiled at one another in a significant manner, and nodded with the air of men who are quite pleased with themselves. "'You had better sit down,' Evor said. "'That walk must have tired you terribly. I should be exceedingly sorry.' "'You need not worry about me,' Le Fignu said in a clear, hard voice. "'I am a little tired, perhaps, but I have a duty to fulfill, and the knowledge of it has braced me wonderfully. Besides, I am so much better of late.' and I am looking eagerly forward to the time when I shall be as other men. Now go and fetch him, and let us get the thing done. But for the fact that he is my mother's brother, I would have had no mercy on the scoundrel. Still, the same blood flows in our veins, and I am in a merciful mood to-night. Evors walked boldly out of the room, and down the stairs into the hall. Then, in a loud voice, he called out the name of Mark Fenwick. The dining-room door burst open, and Fenwick strode out, his yellow face blazing with passion in the light. "'So you are back again,' he said hoarsely. "'You are a bold man to thrust your head into the lion's mouth like this.' "'There are others equally bold,' Evor said coolly. "'I am strong enough and able enough to take you by that fat throat of yours and choke the life out of you. You have a different man to deal with now. But there are others to be considered, so I will trouble you to come along with me. The interview had best take place in the little room at the end of the corridor.' You know the room, I mean. Ah, I see you do. Fenwick started. It was quite plain that Evor's hint was not lost on him. Without another word, he led the way up the staircase into the little room. He started again, and half turned when he caught sight of the white, handsome face of Le Fignu. In all probability, he would have disappeared altogether, but for the fact that Evor's closed the door and turned the key. Fenwick stood there, his yellow face scared and terrified. Cold as it was, a bead of perspiration stood on his bulging forehead. He looked from one to the other, as if he anticipated violence. Le Fignu sat up in his chair and laughed aloud. "'You are but a sorry coward after all,' he said. "'You have no need to fear us in the slightest. We shall leave the vengeance to come in the hands of others. And now, sit down, though you are not fit to take a chair in the company of any honest men.' "'In my own house,' Fenwick began feebly, "'you are—' "'We will overlook that,' Le Fenu went on. "'It is our turn now, and I don't think you will find our conditions too harsh. It is not so long ago since my friend here was a prisoner in your hands, and since you reduced him to such a condition of mind that he had abandoned hope and lost all desire to live. It is not so long ago, either, since you dared to make me a prisoner in my own house for your own ends. It was fortunate for you that I chose to live more or less alone in London.' and under an assumed name. But all the time I was looking for you, all the time I was working out my plans for your destruction. Then you found me out. You began to see how I could be useful to you, how I could become your miserable tool, as Mr. Evors here did. You dared not stay at your hotel. Things were not quite ripe for you to come down here. 
Therefore, you hit upon the ingenious idea of making me a prisoner under my own roof. But fate, which has been waiting for you a long time, intervened, and I became a free man again just at the very moment when Mr. Evors also regained his liberty. Since then we have met more than once, and the whole tale of your villainy is now plain before me. You might have been content with the murder of my father and the blood-money you extracted from the forefinger mine. But that was not enough for you. Nothing less than the extermination of our race sufficed. It was no fault of yours that I was not killed in the so-called accident that has made me the cripple that I am. That was all arranged by you, as I shall be able to prove when the proper time comes. I escaped death by a miracle, and good friends of mine hid me away beyond the reach of your arm. Even then you had no sort of mercy. Even then you were not content with the mischief you had wrought. You must do your best to pin your crime on Mr. Evors, though that conspiracy cost my sister Beth her reason. Of course, you would deny all these things, and I see you are prepared to deny them now, but it is absolutely useless to add one lie to another, because we know full well. Stop! Fenwick cried. What are you here for? Why do you tell me this? A desperate man like myself. No threats, Le Fenu said sternly. I am simply here to warn you. God knows what an effort it is on my part not to hand you over to your punishment. But I cannot forget that you are a blood relative of mine, and therefore I am disposed to spare you. Still, there is another nemesis awaiting you, which nemesis I need not mention by name. When I look at your left hand, I feel sorry for you. Bad as you are, the terrible fate which is yours moves me to a kind of pity. Le Fenu paused and glanced significantly at Fenwick's maimed hand. The latter had nothing more to say. All his swaggering assurance had left him. He sat huddled up in his chair, a picture of abject terror and misery. "'You can help me if you will,' he said hoarsely. "'You are speaking of Zary. That man is no human being at all. He is no more than a cold-blooded tiger, and yet he would do anything for you and yours, if you asked him to spare me.' Fenwick broke off and covered his face with his hands. His shoulders were heaving with convulsive sobs now. Tears of self-pity ran through his fingers. For the time being, at any rate, the man's nerve was utterly gone. He was prepared to make any conditions to save his skin. Agitated and broken as he was, his cunning mind was yet moving swiftly. A little time ago, these two men would not have dared to intrude themselves upon his presence. He had held them like prisoners in the hollow of his hand, and now it seemed to him that they must feel their position to be impregnable or they would never have intruded upon him in this bold fashion. "'I am not the man I was,' he gasped. "'It is only lately that my nerve seems to have utterly deserted me. You do not know what it is to be fighting in the dark against a foe so cold and relentless as Felix Zary. When the first warning came, I was alarmed. The second warning frightened me, till I woke in the night, with a suffocating feeling at my heart, as if I were going to die. Against the third warning I took the most elaborate precautions.' but it came all the same, and since then I have been drinking to drown my terror. But what is the good of that? How little does it serve me in my sober moments? As I said just now, Zary would do anything for your family, and if you would induce him to forgo that dreaded vengeance which hangs over me. Impossible, Le Fenu said coldly. Zary is a fanatic, a dreamer of dreams. He has a religion of his own, which no one else in the world understands but himself. He firmly and honestly believes that some divine power is impelling him on, that he is merely an instrument in the hands of the maker of the universe. There have been other beings of the same class, in a way. Charlotte Corday believed herself to be the chosen champion of heaven 
when she stabbed the French monster in his bath. Nothing I could say or do would turn Zari from what he believes to be his duty. The only thing you can do is to go away and lose yourself in some foreign country where Zari cannot follow you. Impossible, Fenwick said hoarsely. I could not get away. If the man possesses the powers he claims, he would know where to find me, even if I hid myself in the depths of a Brazilian forest. I tell you, I am doomed. I cannot get away from the inevitable. Fenwick slipped from his chair and fairly groveled in his anguish on the floor. It was a pitiable sight, but one that moved the watchers with contempt. They waited patiently enough for the paroxysm of terror to pass, and for Fenwick to resume something like the outer semblance of manhood. He drew himself up at length, and wiped the tears from his sickly yellow face. "'I cannot think,' he said. "'My mind seems to have ceased to act. If either of you have any plan, I shall be grateful to hear it. It seems almost impossible.' The speaker suddenly paused, for there came from below the unmistakable sounds of high voices raised in expostulation. It occurred to Fenwick for a moment that his subordinates were quarrelling among themselves. Then his quick ears discerned the sound of strange voices. He rose to his feet and made in the direction of the door. A minute later a stealthy tap was heard on the door, and a voice whispered, asking to be admitted. Evors glanced at Le Fenu in an interrogative kind of way, as if asking for instructions. The latter nodded, and the door opened. The man in the list slippers staggered into the room, his red face white and quivering, his whole aspect eloquent of fear. "'What is it?' Fenwick whispered. "'What's the trouble? Why don't you speak out, man, instead of standing there like that?' The man found his voice at last. His words came thickly. "'They are here,' he said. "'The man from America. You know who I mean. Get away at once. Wait for nothing. Those two devils Egan and Grady are downstairs in the hall.' End of chapter 24